The following sermon was delivered during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is our guest preacher for today's service. Not to be outdone by next Sunday's lineup, we have a real treat for you this morning in guest preacher Dr. Tim Hart Anderson, senior pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Born in Kansas and raised in Chicago, Tim earned his undergraduate degree from Northern Illinois University, master's degrees from the University of Texas at Austin and McCormick Theological Seminary in Chicago, and his doctorate in ministry from San Francisco Theological Seminary. Prior to coming to Westminster Church in Minneapolis, Tim served Old First Presbyterian Church in San Francisco as senior pastor. Over the years, I have developed nothing but respect for this man's ministry. Simply put, Tim has got it going on in Minneapolis. Westminster is a vibrant church with a great staff and a transformative presence in the heart of one of Mid-America's greatest cities. For the last decade, I have consistently looked to Westminster as a model church and to Tim as a mentor pastor. Whenever I have called or texted or pulled him aside at a conference, Tim has always had something to teach me or just plain wisdom about how to do ministry in these challenging times. Tim is innovative, he is bold, he is centered in his faith. He's a deeply spiritual fellow. After walking the 500 miles of the El Camino de Santiago in Spain in 2013, Tim and his wife Beth, also a Presbyterian minister, and seated right there next to Amy, wave Beth. Hi, we're glad you're here. They have committed to taking one pilgrimage every summer as long as they are able. And this coming summer, they will be walking the Ring of Kerry in Ireland. I am so thankful that Tim and Beth have come east this January to walk the Ring of Manhattan and to bring us the good news. Let's extend a warm FAPC welcome to Dr. Timothy Hart Anderson. Let us pray. Gracious God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds so that as your scripture is read and your word is proclaimed, we might hear with joy what it is that you are saying to us this day. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our first lesson for today, this Epiphany Sunday, comes from the 60th chapter of the writings of the prophet Isaiah, beginning with the first verse. Listen now for God's word to you. Arise, shine, for your light has come, 
and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together, they come to you. Your daughters shall come from far away, and your sons shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Here ends the reading. With Christians around the world this Sunday, we hear this text from the prophet and and this gospel reading from Matthew to remind us that we are one body of Christ around the world, remembering the light of Christ that comes at Epiphany. It's a, an honor for me to be here to hear these stories, these texts, and to enjoy worship with you this day. Thank you, Scott, for that introduction. Scott is from Minnesota. That's why he said all those nice things about me. But it is a privilege to be here. This is a, a pulpit I have admired for many years, and I'm glad to be standing in it this day. We're reading now from the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means among the least of the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, Bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. And then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. And now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child, to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. They were stargazers, Zoroastrian astrologers, night travelers on a quest that drew them out of lands to the east on a long trek toward the village of Bethlehem. They were literally what the prophet Isaiah called people who walked in darkness. They rested by day and then found their way through the dark by pursuing the heavenly light. Where is the child, the Magi ask, who has been born King of the Jews? Those are the first words spoken in Matthew's Gospel, other than what the angel says. And the words come from non-Jews, Gentiles in the extreme, as one writer calls them, an early signal that this new circle is wide from the start. For we observed his star at its rising. The Magi could only have seen the star if they were out in the dark, looking. It's the primordial religious experience to find ourselves searching for direction and purpose and meaning as we stumble through the dark night of the soul. Every spiritual tradition knows the power of light. Islam describes God as the light of the heavens and earth. Buddhists meditate on night and light in their contemplative practice. Jews, of course, celebrate Hanukkah, the festival of lights. The chief annual ritual for Hindus is also called the festival of lights, Diwali. And for us, in the words of the ancient creed, Jesus Christ is light from light. Every tradition knows that light shines most clearly in the dark. Religion is ushered into our lives on the interplay between darkness and light. The two are not so much opposites as parts of a whole, and they both exist, light and darkness, within us and within the world. Authentic spiritual life honors and wrestles with that reality. Sometimes the two are out of balance 
in our hearts or in the world around us and we feel helpless and overwhelmed and when that happens those who follow Jesus do what Howard Thurman once said we do the work of Christmas riding the imbalance of injustice by pursuing the light of righteousness what has come into being in him was life John's gospel tells us and the life was the light of all people everybody everybody needs the light when my wife and I walked the Camino some years ago in Spain over the course of those 500 miles we encountered many other pilgrims and mile after mile day after day week after week we discovered that all of us all of us were working on something trying to heal searching for a new way in life looking for hope it's no different for the magi it should not surprise us that their light-seeking pilgrimage has significant spiritual meaning. It's their epiphany, after all, a revealing experience that opens to them wonders and possibilities beyond their imagining. And all because they see a light in the night sky and follow it. It changes them. It gives them courage and direction. Light can do that for us when it reaches us in the dark and when we pay attention to it. Many years ago, my friend Ralph and I found ourselves stranded in a remote park in the South American nation of Colombia, high up in the Andes. We had taken a bus up for the day and had a wonderful time, but lost track of time, and everybody else had gone, and, and we were left alone in what soon became utter darkness with no way of getting down off the mountain. We waited, hoping someone would come for us. Maybe they would remember we had come up and not gone down, but no one came. So finally we set off on foot down a path we could hardly make out, not knowing where we were headed. We all have our magi moments, those times when we're lost in the dark, wandering with no clear direction, maybe struggling with a, a broken relationship or facing a difficult diagnosis or dealing with grief, or when the nation has gone into cultural polarity and political freefall and little seems to be holding us together. Surely the wise men from the East went through such periods on their long journey. In those times, in those times, and we all know those times, and we're living in those times, night seems to close in on us. God chooses, God chooses to come among us precisely then, in the bleak season because that's where light is needed the most. As Ralph and I started walking down the mountain, we saw a shining speck ahead of us, twinkling in the darkness below. 
like a star that had fallen to the ground. We didn't know what it was, but it began to draw us through the night. It became a, a beacon calling us to safety, and for hours we slowly made our way toward it, and, and eventually the light began to grow brighter as we got closer. Finally, we entered a small village. It was completely dark, except for that one light. It came from a window in a house, a lamp at a young mother's sewing table. Feeling as if we had a kind of relationship with the light, we knocked on the door of the house, and she greeted us, two strangers, travelers from another land far away, lost in the dark. She welcomed us into her home and offered hospitality and, and then directed us to a neighbor who had an extra room where we could spend the night. She had turned the light on for us in more ways than one. Can we turn the lights on in these shadowed, troubled times? When the prophet Isaiah says that Darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. He was describing life in Palestine in 8th century BCE, but it's not a bad description of our time as well. Isaiah was speaking politically. Things were not right back then in Israel, and something has gone wrong in our land as well today. These are perilous times. As a new year opens, bringing with it new possibilities for how we shall live together. We're reminded of all those places where the love of light is needed. On our borders, among our most vulnerable neighbors, for victims and perpetrators of violence. For those whose full humanity is diminished by racism or nativism. And let us also acknowledge that sometimes even the church is part of what part of what brings on the nighttime of despair. We're seeing that unfold among our United Methodist siblings today as they split over the inclusion of gay and lesbian church members. Something I watched firsthand in our denomination not too long ago. In June 1996, I was a delegate to the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in Albuquerque that year. The question of allowing the ordination of openly gay persons was before the assembly. The debate was lengthy and passionate and emotional and occasionally ugly. The time finally came to make the decision, and the vast room with its hundreds of voting delegates and thousands of observers was absolutely quiet. We all pressed our electronic voting buttons and waited the long seconds for the result. And when the tally came up on the screen, the church had voted to exclude its gay and lesbian members from ordination as pastors and elders and deacons. There was an audible gasp and then silence. For many of us, it felt as if a grim cloud had settled over the room, over 
church. And then the doors of the hall swung open and we could hear singing. Si ahamba kuka nene kwekos. Si ahamba kuka nene kwekos. A long line of LGBTQ Presbyterians and their allies entered, lifting in one voice the South African freedom song, We Are Marching in the Light of God, the Magi's song. The light of God had broken into the room. They ignored the barrier meant to keep them out, and they slowly came onto the assembly floor, encircling the delegates, singing against the gloom that had descended. Like hundreds of magi following the star of God's love, they sang of the light no darkness could overcome. It was an epiphany moment. They turned on the lights. Rather than feeling lost and defeated, we trusted God's inclusive love would eventually prevail no matter how long the track. Justice can be slow in coming, but it will come. At one point in Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, the white lawyer Atticus Finch quotes Psalm 30 to the family's African-American helper Calpurnia. Weeping may linger for the night, he says, but joy comes with the morning. To which Capernia says under her breath, that morning is in no hurry to get here. The light can take a long time to fill hearts and change minds. Several years later, after many more defeats in our efforts to open the church to the gifts of its gay and lesbian members, I was the speaker at another General Assembly gathering, and in my remarks I observed that being on the losing end of votes year after year after year was a strange place for me as a straight white male. I had become aware of my privilege once it was taken away. For the first time in my life, I said, I had been marginalized by my own church, pushed out of the center to the edges. Afterwards, a woman named Janie Spar, a self-described lesbian evangelist who had been denied ordination for years, came up to me with a big smile on her face and said, welcome to the margins, Tim. Only we think of it as the horizon. Another epiphany. Like a wise one from the East, she had reframed for me the quest for light. In fact, in that moment, she reframed for me my entire ministry. We always look to the horizon, she was saying, because that's where the light comes first. Those at the margins lead the way. It took another 17 years before the church finally opened itself to full inclusion. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That good news to the Hebrew people long ago is the epiphany word to us today. In a world suffused with war, and rumors of war, and preparation for war. 
in a nation hobbled by inequities and fear and anger and addictions, in a creation under assault by its very stewards, in a time of swirling darkness, can we turn the lights on? Can we turn the lights on, please? Can we take the hope that led the Magi to the manger and then empowered them to change their direction on the way home and make it our own? Can we find what it will take for us to live together in another way? The night is thick around us. Can we sing our way toward the dawn, trusting that joy comes with the morning? Today, as we come to this table covered with the, the goodness of light, and as we go from this place into the world, can the church, can the church be the church? We can. We can, you and I, if we too become stargazers, night travelers who insist there is a light no darkness can overcome. And if we have the courage to do so, we ourselves, we ourselves, can turn the lights on. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no person evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Heal the afflicted. Honor all people. Steward the creation. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us and with those whom God loves this whole world over. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and provided a message of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you are in New York City, we invite you to visit our historic church and join us for worship. You will find our address, worship calendar, and other information on our website, fapc.org. If you would like to help support this audio ministry, please text the dollar amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646-491-8331. Again, that is the amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646-491-8331. Thank you and God bless.